Hey, Luke. Here he bloody is. How's it going? Not too bad. How are you? I can't see you. Oh, sorry. Uh, the video's not on. Oh! The- <laughs> <laughs> Looks like you've got a big black man sat behind you, mate. <laughs> What's that between his legs? <laughs> so proud of yourself alex has turned his webcam on and used a visual background that is all too familiar with myself and i'm sure half of the population at this point in time it's the look in his eyes he's just he knows how happy he is yeah i don't need to oh What's funny is that the the virtual background slightly breaks when you move your arm, and I can see that you've just got your curtains behind it. Yeah, well, I'm I'm going to turn it off. Don't worry, he's not going to sit there for the whole podcast. I know he's just staring at me. He's gonna he's gonna distract me, and he's gonna distract you. (laughs) You say that like, and if he's going to distract me, you can be sure he's going to distract you as well. Definitely. And welcome back to another episode of Going Through the Motions with me, Callum. And me, Alex. How's it going, guys? The podcasting equivalent of beautiful sunny days, Monday to Friday, and then rain through the weekend. Yeah, accurate. Accurate. <laughs> accurate indeed. It, I mean, it's kind of, accurate. it doesn't really matter what the weather's like at the moment, does it? No. No, it's not. It's not like we live outdoors. No. Some people do. Some people do. I mean, you've been sunbathing quite a lot recently, haven't you, on the nice days? Keep getting, Absolutely. Keep getting moved along by the police, don't you? They're like, that. Yeah, what you I like? Always, I, I, always try to, I always try to do it right in the middle of a public path. <laughs> coughing and spluttering on folk as they pass. Absolutely. Get away Absolutely. from me. Get away from me. Yeah, do you, smile. Do you, <laughs> do you still uh, hide under bridges and ask travellers to answer three questions? That's still sort of stuff you get up to at the weekend. No, I stopped answering and I stopped asking the questions because, frankly, most of them got it right. So now I just rob them blind straight up. <laughs> Give me your dinner money. <laughs> yeah, your lunch money. Have you got a play piece on you? <laughs> um, I appreciate that we have got a packed show this week. 
So I'm going to shut you up right now with your utter nonsense chat and actually dive right into it. Is that all right if I do that with your nonsense chat? Yeah. Is that, does, that mean, does that mean you've not got, not got any memes? Oh, we've bloody done that. I do. I do. Uh, a friend of mine sent me one last night with our man. What's his name? The, what, the, the friend of you? you? Yeah, your virtual background. Oh, I don't know his name. Oh, I thought you had given me his name last week. Anyway, you'll, you'll never believe it. He's only gone in one person of the year. Oh, yes. He's gone and done person of the year. I was sent this video by, by my mate, actually, who phoned in into the show, I think, two weeks ago. And uh, he sent me this montage someone has put together, which basically culminates all of the memes that we've seen this chap in, where he's sat in the Oval Office, where he's helping the NHS. Uh, there's a, there's yeah. a beautiful one where he's taking part in a coordinated water ski uh, gymnastics event, where he is at the top of a pyramid. And uh, bet you bet you know what the girls are hanging on to to keep him in uh, to keep him square in check. You know it. <laughs> I'm going to send this to you now, actually. But uh, in fact, what I'll do is I'll send it to you in the middle of your report so it slightly throws you off. Right. Okay. There is music to it. We should, when, when, this, when quarantine really hits us, when we're doing reports on the person of the year music that gets played. Yeah. <laughs> what about yourself, mate? Has anything well, you up this week? Well, I had, a, I had a funny scenario with the same content of tweet of a um, meme actually is that guy but it was it was funny for me look at you it's hilarious i just, I just love it that this show has just started with just updates on where we've seen this meme but that's what this show is now it's no, music well, movies was, and large black men <laughs> I, I was the one that used the meme basically i did what i did to you uh-huh. i just put it on my virtual background uh, on zoom yeah right and I did it when I was doing a meeting with, like, some of the people that I play with. Oh, I, I thought I, you were going to say with my students. Oh. <laughs> no, I bet, no, no, no. I bet now there's a slight tang of worry in your head that you're going to open your Zoom one day and that's going to be your virtual background. I've already had that worry and it's fine. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. And but isn't, it, isn't it your sister's 21st birthday later today and you're going to be Zooming in from uh, London back home? Well, it's not later today. It is today. It's today's summer, of course. No, but the call is later today. Yeah, it is. It is. Sorry, I'm interrupting. I would, have, I, would have no, I would have no problem using that virtual background with my family. That'd be funny. <laughs> but... I did it, back to the story, I did it with a bunch of people that I play with on a regular basis, or used to on a regular basis, before yeah. nonsense happens. Uh, and we're kind of putting a virtual musical performance of something together, which will hit the internet at some point, and I'll, we'll, I'll, probably, I'll probably share it on the podcast page too. Nice, uh, nice, too. To, to be honest, because it's just a nice thing to do. But ten of them there, not one of them knew about the meme. <laughs> but that but that doesn't look bad on them you know who that looks no, bad on <laughs> not, yeah i know not one of them knew about knew about them because they were they were playing around with virtual backgrounds you know one of them was in space one of them was on a beach like it's all very nice and i just put mine on and i was like yeah yeah they were funny and not one of them knew who it was and what i was like, alex what is that you've just got this 
big black guy behind you. Like, and did you move out what? the way and then scar them for life? Because you're sat right between his legs in that virtual back. I know. That's what I thought <laughs> was funny. I thought everyone knows what's supposed to be there. And instead of that being there, it's my smiling mug. And I thought that's what I was funny, but none of them knew about it. <laughs> it would only be you that a joke like that, a brilliant joke, might I say, a 10 on 10 joke like that. Very much. I really appreciate that. I really but do. It's only you that that would just horrendously backfire. And the word, it's not even like you've backfired and you've offended someone. You've just, it's just been boring. It's just been like, I don't get it. There's nothing yeah. more cardinal than when a, when a joke is just like, oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Oh, it's never worse. <laughs> we are a music and movies podcast. We each week will bring two movies to the show and we will discuss them. We will discuss the music behind them, the themes, the origins and how they make us feel. And whoa, don't we have a show this week? There's a lot to pack in. Um, I'm going to just get, it's you, isn't it, actually to start, isn't it? It is is actually me because we did uh, Amadeus last last week. So it's going to be me first this week. So fantastic. I am bringing the first movie in Quentin Tarantino's output, Reservoir Dogs. Woo! I love this film so much. Isn't it fantastic? I loved it. And actually, it was the first Tarantino movie that I saw, mm-hmm. which I'm really, really happy at. Because a lot of people, a lot of people's first Tarantino movies, well, a lot of people's first Tarantino movies nowadays are actually some of the more modern ones. Actually. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but my first one was Reservoir Dogs. What was your first one? Uh, I think it was Pulp Fiction. I think it was Pulp Fiction. I think because I I had a friend who was really into sort of movies when, when uh, we were in high school together and he, he's the guy that guy that we've sort of chatted about before in the show. He was the one who introduced me to Tarantino. And I think it was, I think it was, he lent me, in fact, I tell a lie it was Reservoir Dogs because he sent, he lent me the DVD, but in, whilst he lent me the DVD, he lent me the script for Pulp Fiction, like the book. Yeah. And I yeah. remember for my fifth year book report, I did... I was going to say that. Yeah, I did that. <laughs> yeah. That go well? It did, yeah. I think I got an A for it, actually. It was really nice Ooh. having Mrs. Mrs. Fleming stand up in front of the class and, uh, and, and read Samuel L. Jackson quotes, Does He Look Like a Bitch? Like in fifth year, in fifth year high school, our, our teacher decided because she was reading excerpts from everyone's books, and and she she actually really approved of the fact that Pulp Fiction was being used because it is you know there, there's a lot of meaning behind it. Yeah, although I I very much want because I can I can I've got in my mind's eye a picture of Mrs. Fleming, and I'm just seeing her behind her desk with her glasses going, "I'm a mushroom cloud laying motherfucker, motherfucker." <laughs> And he asks very calmly and very, um, uh, uh, yeah, very uh, forwardly, does he look like a bitch? And then follows up with a curious question of, well, why are you trying to fuck him like a bitch? What do you think he means in that? (laughs) I can hear him saying (laughs) Brett. 
<laughs> and I want you to go into that bag and fetch my wallet. <laughs> anyway, we're not talking about Pulp Fiction, man. We're, we're, not, we're not talking about that's, that That's, that's another that, one. That's a banger. So it's one for another time. Although it will inevitably be a fairly similar report to this one because yeah. the music functions in almost an identical way. Mm-hmm. And it's yes. very much and it's very much a staple of Tarantino movies now, with the interesting exception of the hateful eight. And mm. that this is a playlist soundtrack, isn't it? Yes, yes, exactly. But what I love about the about Reservoir Dogs, the music in Reservoir Dogs, is not only is it a playlist soundtrack, it's a radio show. Yes, yes. I love it. And I, and I absolutely love that. The first thing I wanted to do, even after the first time watching this movie, was to get the album. Yes, the super sounds of the 70s. Was to get the album of Reservoir Dogs and just listen to it. Just yeah. get absorbed in that sound world. And like, it's, it's really interesting because the music is even introduced by the characters you know the first scene you see them in they're at the breakfast diner yeah having breakfast and quentin tarantino is mouthing off about madonna and mm. like a virgin right mm. which is interesting because they're talking about a song that tonally you'll realize has absolutely no place in this movie no like at no point in this movie do they actually play madonna's like a virgin mm. Which I was, I was sitting, I was sitting there watching the scene and, and knowing what music was going to come up because I've seen this movie hundreds of hundreds, times, at this point, hundreds, hundreds of times at this point. But and then I was like, well, why didn't they play Madonna's Like a Virgin? Oh yeah, because that would be weird. But then why are they talking about Madonna's Like a Virgin? And it's because when this movie is set, Like a Virgin will have just been released, so yes. you know they're they're talking about it. But then. At some point in the conversation, I can't remember when, uh, Michael Madsen's character, Vic Vega, Mr. Blonde, Mr. Blonde. Who, we'll talk, who we'll talk about a bit more later, says, oh, guys, have you, li- have you been listening to uh, Steve Wright's Super Sound of the 70s? Yes. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, I heard this song the other day. I heard that song the other day. I've not heard that song since I was, I was a yes. kid and stuff. And then, for, and then for the rest of the movie, all you hear is the music that the characters like to listen to because they're all listening to this radio station. It's amazing. And I think that's really, really cool. Mm. I think that's really cool. And I can't think of like other examples in cinema. Well, the, the, the two points I was going to say to the Madonna piece, it's funny how you mentioned it. Cause back when we did snatch, there was a similar juxtaposition with the gangsters listening and loving Madonna. seems like Madonna's making her way around a lot of these sort of gangster heist gritty films. It's kind of a theme. The, the other, the other point I was going to bring up, which is a really interesting bit of trivia. So Madonna, who is the main topic of the opening conversation, really, she actually really liked the film, but refuted Quentin Tarantino's interpretation of her song, like a virgin she gave him a copy of her erotica album signed to Quentin. It's not about dick. It's about love. Madonna. I love that. I love that story. (laughs) I like that a lot. But at the same time, I don't think anyone watching this movie or 
listening to Tarantino make this opening monologue is sitting there going, you know what, Quentin, you've convinced me. I think Like a Virgin is about big dicks. Ah. I, think, I don't think people are thinking that. No. I don't think people are thinking that because I didn't think that. No, I just of think, course not. I, I just thought, well, Quentin, we all know that you're a little bit of a creepy lunatic. So of yeah, yeah, gonna, exactly. So of course, of course you're going to think that. Yeah. But, you know, the rest of us live on planet Earth. So, you know, exactly. just think, think what you think. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> that, that, I mean, what I've basically described there is the Reservoir Dogs album in a nutshell. But there's some really great highlights in it. Like Hooked on a Feeling by Blue Swede, I absolutely love. Yep, yep. Also a big feature in another playlist album or playlist movie soundtrack, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, fantastic scene. And a fantastic use of that in in that movie as well. When Star Lord's just dancing like, away, you know, yeah, yeah, dancing away and kicking vermin, <laughs> and uh, I just I absolutely love it. And I also love how even on the album, because when I actually downloaded this album and then got this album after first hearing it, I loved the fact that all the songs were kind of split up by these by the radio guy yeah the monologues of course yeah making, making radio announcements even to the extent one of them is if you're the 12th caller you'll get free tickets to like a monster truck rally yeah 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 featuring some random guy's monstrosity the behemoth <laughs> <laughs> and and he's got such a droll voice, doesn't it's he? The drolling, it's the drolling voice. And I think it's great. Obviously, the other, he, he uses it very successfully, uh, again, with a KHJ radio station in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And that's a very different feel to it. That kind of 50s, um, 60s, swinging 60s almost uh, radio station, which was, you know, the WKHJ and the kind of jingles. Whereas this 70s is a lot more, Big welcome back to studio, the super sounds of the seven. I, 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 is, I actually yeah. really liked it when I was watching it again. Yeah. I remember that sequence where obviously that, you know, the, all right, ramblers, let's get rambling. And they, they finish and they get up and they do the walk yeah. and little, little green bag plays. But it's the introduction yeah. to it when it's the black screen and, and the, like I say, the drawling voices over the back. Great. So good. Yeah. So great. And lots of different genres of music in this as well you know sandy rogers fool for love which is essentially a, a country number isn't it yeah i think that's why i'm drawn to these sort of soundtrack movies is that i i can remember i can when i listen back to the soundtrack i can see i mean i i only need to watch the movie once or twice but i can see on screen what was happening when that mo- that song was being played i think that's why i'm yeah. drawn to these it's it's just it, they're, they're kind of like music videos almost for these songs. I mean, the, the, the classic example, as, you, as I said, was Little, Little Green Bag when they're walking. And yeah. never is there more iconic walking scene. If you, if you and your mates have at, no, at one point ever been in suits and you've been walking together and someone hasn't sang doom, 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 doom. If someone hasn't done that, they're not your real mates. Because yeah. that is just the most iconic, cool walking with the suits. But what I love about the suits particularly as well, and specifically it shows when Mr. Pink and Mr. White are sort of talking to each other in the sort of, in the, in the warehouse and they're slicking back their hair, which I, I love. I love it how they all just slick back their hair. They've all got combs. I yeah. love that. Yeah. But the suits particularly are really shit 
suits and they deliberately don't fit. If you look at them again, they're kind of quite gently yeah. sort of oversized suits. And I quite like that, yeah. actually. It really yeah. is. A, it's a nice touch to it. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, they're, they're basically costumes. They weren't, they weren't made to fit. They're not their suits. You know, they yeah. turned up. They turned up to the job. You can see them all in their, in their normal street clothes attire when Joe is talking to them. Mm. and giving them their names mm. right mm. so joe obviously just had these suits in the back yeah i gave it to him these aren't these guys suits so of course they're not they're not gonna fit they're not gonna fit properly but i love how you brought this looking back at the hair because especially in this scene when they're trying to work out what the hell happened yeah uh, on this job they keep saying and especially steve buscemi's characters keep saying throughout the whole yeah throughout the whole movie He's just like, I'm a professional. Am I the only professional? You're supposed to act like a professional. And, you know, Harvey Keitel says, you know, you've got to act, act like a professional and, and not a psychopath and all that. And you kind of think, yeah, but you're all scumbags. Exactly, exactly. They take it so seriously, but it's only them that takes that seriously. Yeah, exactly. They're still robbing a diamond wholesaler. Exactly. Like, you know, what's your what's your profession here what, what where's the where's the profession I, I i firmly believe and it obviously everyone goes no Har, harvey cattell harvey cattell is brilliant and he is brilliant and tim roth i really like tim roth and um and obviously um michael madsen you know just great great creepy psycho character i love i love that steve buscemi I, I swear i swear i've said this before Michael Madsen always plays a lunatic. He does, he does. Well, and I, we did we talked about this during Hateful Eight, but Steve Buscemi is he's just second. He's, he's, sorry, he's just second to none, first class in this. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say second class. <laughs> he, is second. He, is, he is proper second class in this. <laughs> second to none, first class. He is, no, but he is. He is just amazing, and he's so like. And obviously, like he—he he is an odd-looking guy with his, his eyes and everything. But it really brings out that kind of like the manic distress. I, I love it. I love it so so much. I think he, I think he yeah. is just excellent in this. Yeah, and like there's such there's, you know, when this argument between him and Harvey Keitel like reaches its peak, and they like have a little bit of they have a bit of a fight, and they end up on the floor and they'd make that pose how yeah. famous is that pose very famous yeah very very famous the, the, like, yeah both, both of like, the films we're talking about today some of the imagery in each of them is just so famous yeah. um and reservoir dogs is up there with some of the one of the most famous imagery actually yeah and you know what i love i love that like how it was constructed that that shot no it's like he knew that that pose is going to be iconic because they're sitting there and then it goes from face to face the camera angle goes from face to face and then he he zooms out and you and you get the wide angle shot of the back of the warehouse with them just pointing their gun guns at each other in that famous pose with steve buscemi on the ground and how harvey cartel like just standing over him yeah like in this really in this really powerful pose and you just there's a long time lingering on that shot, obviously then before the camera goes behind Michael Madsen, who's been watching it the whole time. Yes. And and so the story and so the story progresses. And we and then we get to as the story progresses, 
we get to learn a little bit more about Michael Madsen's character and that he actually has a connection with Joe and Nice, nice guy, guy Eddie. Nice guy, Eddie. Thanks. I almost lost it there. <laughs> nice guy, Eddie. And then when, when we get back to the warehouse and he's got the cop in the trunk and they get the cop out and they start and they start to lay into him and then yada, 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 yada. Yep. We get stuck in the middle with you. Yes. Now, never has a song been simultaneously shot to stratospheric fame because of the movie, but also at the same time completely ruined for everybody. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Would you would you not agree? No, I think I think you're absolutely right. So just before we go into uh, Jerry Rafferty and stuck and stuck in the middle, it's Steelers Wheels, isn't it? Is is he Steelers Wheels? Lead singer Jerry Rafferty was the lead singer. Um, Scott. Scott, yeah. Scott exactly used to sing. Well, I'll get into the, the my my information on him. But Quentin yeah, Tarantino was considering using "Ballroom Blitz" by Sweet as the alternate song for the ear scene, which I think would have been absolutely serviceable as well. I love that song, "Ballroom Blitz," and I could imagine that being played quite similarly and him sort of dancing maniacally. But the kind of more chilled out kind of like you know the guitar sort of sound of Steeler's Wheels. Yeah in some ways just makes it even more unique and yeah. and obviously then we mentioned Jerry Rafferty's kind of i guess like humble singing uh it's 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 definitely not it's definitely not trying to reach any high notes or anything but yeah. i say humble because uh famously uh Jerry Rafferty was in a band with Billy Connolly famous scottish folk musician and uh, comedian yeah. their band called the humble bums and yeah. uh, so they're a sort of famous uh, folk duo, as as it were. Obviously, Jerry Rafferty kind of went a different a different route into the band Steelers Wheels, and 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 this is what we all remember it for. But you're right; yeah. you you can't even now. You it's difficult to listen to this song and disassociate it from that unique scene. Yeah, and it's like. At this stage in 2020, if you're if you're if you're lucky enough to come across the rare creature that is somebody who knows stuck in the middle of you, but has not seen Reservoir Dogs, you kind of don't want to show it, <laughs> to show the movie to. Like, you know what? This movie, this song has survived with you for for decades. Yeah, fair play to. You. Not gonna take that away from you. It's it's and, but Tarantino has a habit of doing that. I think the other the other one is "Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon" in Pulp Fiction. I think that's yeah. another song where I can't disassociate the the horrendous scene that takes place during that, where uh, Mia Wallace you, you know snorts the heroin. It, it's it's kind of just like oh my god, um, absolutely yeah. crazy. And "Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon" is such a beautiful pairing for that. Um, for that. It but it does it does really, the same really. thing of it, it, it kind of makes you go oh i can't i can't watch that or i can't listen to that song again without seeing that scene in my can't head. do you know what in the case of stuck in the middle with you though i think it's the actual opening that does it right because because you know what he's gonna do because he says it in a monologue he says i'm gonna level with you i'm gonna torture you anyway not because i want information just because it amuses me. Yeah, and then and you get that before the song starts playing, and then he turns the radio, and then he turns the radio on, and then the intro of the song is. 
Yeah, absolutely. There's a look. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's another interesting song that on the soundtrack, Magic Carpet, Mark Magic Carpet Ride. Yes. Now, uh, you texted me last night when I was watching this, saying, um, "Oh, what what did you say? I totally forgot Magic Carpet Ride was in that film." Yeah. So what what were you what were you think what were you thinking there when you when you when you texted me that? I was well. I was watching the scene where obviously he's rehearsing the script that he has to he has to rehearse um, as part yeah. of the undercover. You know the story that he's he's playing, and it was it doesn't it's not played in the foreground, but it's played in the background, and it's the I like to dream right between the and I and I remembered pausing this. I remember pausing the film to text you, and then I got up to make a drink, and in my head I could still hear the song. But what's great about that song is that we, you and I, have a bit of a of a history with Magic Carpet Ride. Was it who was it originally yeah. did Magic Carpet Ride? Was it Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf? It was Steppenwolf. So yeah, we've got a bit of a history with this song because we, when we were in our band together back in uh, was it high school, <laughs> we played Magic Carpet Ride because you loved it so much, and I had not heard it before. And me yeah. being the singer, I must have had to download the lyrics or print the lyrics off and, and memorize the lyrics. But it's obviously it's like it's it's like it's like old mobile old mobile numbers or old house phone numbers or old pin codes. That that those lyrics are never gonna leave my mind. Like they're never gonna leave because I had to learn them for that for, for that well, song in high school. They're mental, aren't they? Yeah. And 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 I was I was walking through my house, pause the music, going, last night I held Aladdin's lamp. On a, and I just, and, I, and I'm just like, how can I remember this, this yeah. song? This is such an old, it's so great. And it's that so, sequence. It's so played, psychedelic. It's it so, is so psychedelic. And that the end. It's so psychedelic. The end sort of crazy psychedelic sequence. And then it just cuts back into the song again. It's a great song. Such a good yeah. song. It's such a, it's such a good song. But what, what's really interesting about its feature in Reservoir Dogs is it's not the Steppenwolf version. It's not. You're right. Yeah, you're not. You're and, right. I remember thinking and, that. And I was thinking, from what I assume I know about Quentin Tarantino, because who knows anything about Quentin Tarantino really? I I, I question why he wouldn't just use Steppenwolf because he seems a big a big fan of like you know the classic hits and all that. And, mm. and then you know I did some googling, and I discovered the Steppenwolf's version of the song that. Well, Steppenwolf wrote the song for their second album in 1968. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this song was written in 1968. So that, that instantly explains how psychedelic it is because I'm putting all my money on it. They were on acid. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's, that, that's just it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then I was like, well, Super Sounds of the 70s. Did he want a 70s version of this song? Mm. And then I looked up the version that is actually played by a British rock band called Bedlam, who actually, there's very little to find out about them. They're oh, really? really? Okay, interesting. really not done much stuff. They don't even have a Wikipedia page. Wow, okay. No, they, they have a tiny Wikipedia page, which is basically like, this is a band. So they do form. have a Wikipedia page? It's not really a Wikipedia page. Well, what's going on, Alex? Bo- Tell me the truth. <laughs> what is this? Are you lying to me again? No, it wasn't on Wikipedia. It was on Google. They don't have they don't have a Wikipedia page, but they just have a little bit on Google that says Bedlam was a was a seventies rock band featuring 
these musicians that then went on to play in bigger stuff. Right. Okay. Oh, okay. So like, so like the drum, the drummer, for example, was the most was the most famous example. He ended up being a member of Black Sabbath. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, like much further down the line, much further down the line, because then you're getting into like the eighties. Sure. Uh, but he ended up playing with Gary Moore, Robert Plant from Led wow. Zeppelin. Yeah. Like you know, he built quite a bit. But then like you know, and Bed and Bedlam was just the first thing that they did like there's really not much and to to the extent that when you go on to magic carpet ride the song yes the steppenwolf version and you go down the wikipedia page to the cover versions yep bedlam's not even on there really yeah myra myra in the 90s from the disney channel is there but (laughs) 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 but uh, bedlam is not so I'm I'm left with the I'm left with the theory that Quentin Tarantino just had this record in his collection mm. for some weird reason because it's well known he's said um, several times that when he has an idea for a movie what he does is he locks himself in his record room and he just listens to songs he just endlessly listens exactly. to songs yeah yeah just random songs until like this concept like formula formulates and i don't know if i don't know if that process was quite as thought out as it probably is now because obviously reservoir dogs was his first movie and i think you know he was still trying to make it Mm. when he was doing reservoir dogs like so you know i don't think you i don't think he's got probably what he has now which is a whole massive yeah exactly i think he must have just only had a, a a certain amount I'm sorry, I'm just doing a bit of background research. I just, I love, uh, Tarantino does this quite a lot where he actually takes um, cover versions of famous songs and uses them. My favorite example of when he does this is actually in Kill Bill where he uses the song, uh, Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood. The Nina Simone song, uh, or Nina Simone made famous, Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood. Is that a Nina song yeah i i I don't know if it was originally i don't know if it was originally uh created but it was definitely sort of made famous it was 1964 the single was nina simone from the album broadway blues uh ballads um it was actually originally written by ben uh, benny benjamin um horace ott and soul marcus uh, and it was written for the singer and pianist nina simone who recorded it in 64 but actually the version that gets used in kill bill is the Santa Esmeralda version with the clapping when they're sort of uh, circling each other. It's my favorite moment in either of the Kill Bill movies. Because how somebody could take what is essentially a a a Latino Mm -hmm. disco number Mm -hmm. and pair it with a samurai sword fight in the snow in a Japanese restaurant I don't know how he thought of that. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Incredible. You have a you have a visitor. Yeah, I know. I've got visitors. He's going. What do you want? He's trying to steal the mirror. He's being very quiet. I got quite scared. I got quite scared because I can see, see off the off the off the camera, and then just this wee this wee face comes comes through the door. <laughs> Who's that coming to say hi? <laughs> She's come to say hello. <laughs> It's yeah. Well, don't be saying that when I do my report. Jesus, <laughs> someone behind you. 
gonna be scared. Yeah, no, don't say that. I'm 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 back back to the window. Um, can I just can I just wraps up my one of my favorite songs as well. One of the most famous inclusions on the uh, Reservoir Dogs soundtrack is. Uh, you put the lime in the coconut oh, and drink it. I was going to finish on this. Okay, one. go for it. Go for it. Or have you got more? Stuff? No, 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 no. This is, uh, you, you've kind of just arrived at, arrived at the end, just like literally right when I was. Yeah. It, it's the perfect palate cleanser. It, it is. It's so, oh, I love it. I love it. it I, I think that's the best way to describe it is as a palate cleanser because, ah, oh, because, the scene before is so tense, isn't it? Yes, yes, yes. You've got you've got the Mexican standoff where they're all. How long have you known that all of them are fucked? This is something that I'm. This is something that I'm wondered a lot while watching this movie. It's like, at what point do you know that all of them are screwed? Yeah. Well, I think it's. I think so. When I rewatched it, that's the line by Mister Orange and Mister uh, White. And he's taking him into the warehouse and he goes, I can't take you to hospital because they'll arrest you. And he goes, you've been shot in the belly. It's going to hurt like hell. It's, it's as sore as the kneecap. It's going to hurt like hell, but it's going to take days for you to die, not hours. You're going to be fine. Yeah. You're going to make it. And yeah. at that point, that's when I, when I was rewatching it last night, because I was kind of thinking in my head, actually, it's funny that you asked that. I was thinking, God, they, imagine if you did in some way do a heist and you were clipped. Or you were, what is the word that they use? They use tagged a lot throughout tagged. this, which I, I love that phrase that, you know, yeah, I tagged a couple of cops on my way out, says Mr. Pink. Yeah. But you couldn't, you couldn't just t- take yourself to hospital. So, well, except for the fact that like Orange just went like, you know, oh, fuck jail. Like it doesn't matter. Uh-huh, uh-huh, I'm uh-huh. dying. I mean, obviously yeah. we, we then discovered that he's an undercover cop. So of course, yeah, yeah, exactly. It, yeah. it would have been fine. But I like, but I, I do very firmly believe that if it was any of the other ones, they probably would have said the same thing. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right, actually. And, you know, they've all done time. Yeah, yeah. They would do time again if it was, you know, going to save their life. It's just, you know, how they live mm-hmm. in this world. But then you reach the big crescendo where they're all at, where they're all at each other's throats and they all and they all shoot each other and then the big reveal to Mr. White that Mr. Orange is a cop and you don't quite get an answer as to who shoots who other than a lot of cops shooting yes yes Which i think i think it implies because you know this is theorized on the internet to the nth degree but i do actually just genuinely think it's really really obvious because they're like oh you don't you don't you don't see harvey Keitel like you know shoot mr orange and all that like it's it's off camera so the, the and did mr that... pink actually get away with the diamonds did he actually get away because you sometimes the... you, but you hear like maybe police resting him outside but you're not sure you don't see it yeah but you're not but you're not sure but i don't think it is that ambiguous to be honest no it's not it's not it's not it's not ambiguous and i'm like i mean you're you're searching for obscurity where there is none I mean, you know, cops come in and start demand, demanding. If they were going to shoot him anyway, they would have just come in and shot him. Yeah. Right. And, and instead, they're like, you know, put the gun down, put the gun down, put the gun down, we're going to blow you away, blow you away. Which means, you know, Mr. White would have had to do something, i.e. shoot Mr. Orange. Yeah. In order for them to shoot back, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
actually, you know, now that I'm saying it, the other <laughs> thing, no, 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 no. Yeah, because if he, if, he, if he took the gun from Mr. Orange and pointed it at the cops and then started shooting, that would make them shoot back. Yeah. Okay, so maybe it is a bit ambiguous. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, tension-wise, as a watch, as a, as a viewer, you're like, oh my God. Yeah, it this really is- gets, yeah. This Sorry, I think there's a, there's a car part. There's a car sat idling outside my flat, which you might get picked up on the on the on the speakers oh. if you can hear it. So that's well, just what I, that is I, in the I, background. I, I, He's I, revving I, the engine every so often, the idiot. Sorry, keep going, mate. I was listening to what you were saying. Yeah, but then cut to black, and we get the credits, and then the weirdest song. I yes. Think. I, <laughs> do 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 do. It's the do do do. Do do do, God yeah. full of coconut. I love it. It's so good. And, what is and this that song that, about? I listen to it a lot. Uh, I don't actually know what it's about, but it, it's it's uh, it literally means you take a lime, then you put it in a coconut. It literally means you take a lime, then you put it in a coconut. Here's the graphic for you. Seriously though, it's one of those steps that making the drink lime in the coconut. It's basically just about that, right? I mean, it, it, there's no double meaning just from what I'm looking at here on the Cura. But he, he, sings, he sings it so weirdly that the first time, probably the first couple of times, I saw this movie before maybe downloading the soundtrack and actually seeing the track list, I genuinely thought he was describing how to make lime-flavoured Coke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but that's because the Diet Coke, Diet Coke with lime, famously used that song. Oh, well, did they? Yeah. So, so they well, did. No, 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 no. So there was an advert that was out that used this song as well, and they changed the lyrics of "You put the lime in the Coke, you nut." Uh, if, you, if you go to YouTube and watch it, it's a really, it's a really sort of early two thousands um, commercial, and they use that, and that's probably where you're, that's probably where you're confusing it from. Coke has always done like good ads. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I found that whilst reading here, the, the, the lime in the coconut is really taken as a home medicine or a country medicine for belly aches in Jamaica. All oh, right. So okay. I think there's obviously something to do with the, the rum and the coconut and the lime. I mean, it's 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 the dr- the drink with rum in the first place. The doctors yeah, they do. Them. Doctors, yeah. they do mention doctors and belly aches and whatnot. Yeah. Exactly. Well. Exactly. Yeah. But I, I think it's, I think, and obviously you have the first example of that very famous written and directed by Quentin Tarantino just gets blown up on the screen, which yeah. I just, I love that. I love that. I've always said, if ever I was a filmmaker or a film director, or I, I, I did what he did, I would do the same thing. You want a punchy or a memorable ending song and just written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. You know, and and you go, and that pairing, the psychological pairing of, oh, what a great, just like, huh, like a a memorable ending. And that's his name. So you remember the ending with his name. But nowadays, he does it at the beginning as well, in opening credits. He says, Hmm. does it say a film by Quentin Tarantino or something like that? Like, I don't know, actually. I know it says it, I know it says at the end of Hollywood. You have been watching Once Upon a Time. No, but does it? Yeah, but yeah, but there's always there's always opening credits as well, especially yeah. in later movies. Like I know it ha- definitely happens in Hateful Eight. Uh, oh happens. yes, I don't actually know. I I just I haven't really remembered. I just I just I know that it's at the end. That it's a very iconic ending. Well, it definitely happens in Django as well. It says like you know when it's 
you know, saying, Oh, you know, you're right. Because it's the Merrimack thing, a film by Quentin Tarantino. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, title, right? Yeah. And it has the same, invokes the same kind of feeling as seeing a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a, there's a, there's a certain mood that you get into when you go and see a Tarantino movie, just like going to see a Star Wars movie, in my opinion. I just get so, so excited. So excited because, and then there's, you know, the rituals of going through it. Like, in Star Wars, you've got a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and then Star Wars. And then, yeah, exactly. It's the ritual, the, vi- the visual and audio uh, combinations, the rituals and these. Yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. Right, before... And then, before... And then in, with Quentin Tarantino, it's exactly the same. His name, his name comes up, and you're like, oh, yes. Yeah, exactly, let exactly. Let it wash over you. <laughs> um, excellent. Well, before I let you uh, turn this into another Star Wars tirade, I want to see some thumbs. How many thumbs up are we getting for this? Two. Easy, two thumbs. I mean, th- 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 this is probably one of the most iconic examples where a soundtrack is preferred over a score. And this soundtrack alone I would say is better than 90% of the scores out there for movies. Yeah. And it just goes to show that the use of music is so artistic, even though it's not original music. And it just goes to show that sometimes it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. I think it took about 35 days to film the whole, to, 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 to film the whole film. Um, so it's, it's kind of like that time-saving element of doing this right. You, you actually don't need to get in the full orchestra because that surely is the most expensive and time-consuming option out of the two. Yeah, well, it's definitely more time-consuming, yeah. yeah. Excellent. And definitely as well, but yeah. Well, Good thanks stuff. for that, mate. Nice. No worries. We've been wanting to get that off our chest for a while, that one, haven't we? Download yeah, those thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So, this week on the show, I am responding to a request I have for a long-term listener, uh, Raphael. He basically uh, contacted, it's a friend of mine, contacted me, um, said he loved the show, but he wanted to request a film that is a favorite film of his. I know it's a favorite film of yours as well. Um, And I think he wanted to do it because... What? No, you don't. You don't know that. Is it not one of your favorites? Callum, when I watched this movie last night, it was the first time in my life. Don't talk shit. Are you serious? Hand to God. I didn't know that. You know, every you know everybody has like gaps in their movie, not in the in like their movie repertoire. Everyone's got like a list of movies that they feel embarrassed that they haven't seen because they're like movie fans. Every yeah. movie fan is in yeah, famous I- movies that. Yes, yes, I've definitely got those. If I find somebody that says that they don't, they're lying. I thought this was, I thought this was, when I said this to you, you were like, oh, great. I got the impression that you loved this movie. How interesting, because you you know so much about it. You do, you do. We were chatting about, amazing. Okay, well, anyway, back to what I was saying briefly as the introduction to this. Raphael decided that this was a really good film for us to discuss, not only because the music is incredible, 
but also because uh, during the whole lockdown that we all find ourselves in, he goes, I'm sure, he said, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are probably feeling the same as Jack Torrance in, uh, in these trying times. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and, it's, and it is great, that whole isolated in the hotel in the middle of the, in the, middle of the mountains. Um, I, 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 re-watching this movie again, I just was like, oh God, like that is a great, plot what a great story yeah oh absolutely incredible throw over to you yeah yeah tell us what you thought because as a first time viewer of this this absolute classic i'd love to know your thoughts on this well first of all i thought you were i i genuinely believed on some level you were you were making me watch this to mess with me because you know that i'm not a big horror fan yeah so I had that in the back of my mind and I, and there was a certain when when I when I not when I first stuck it on but when I was deciding when I was going to watch this there was a certain there was a certain voice in my head was like I have to watch this for the podcast right yeah so you know some of me was like I was glad that I was watching it because yeah. it's been way too long of me not seeing this movie it was way past its due date for me yeah. watching this movie so yeah. I was happy about that but also I was like I have to watch it for the podcast. Do you, yes. do you know what I mean? Yeah. But then, yeah. I, but then watching it, I was so engaged with it. And it was, it, it was interesting because it's really long. Do you think so? It's, yeah. It's like two and a half hours, but not a lot happens. Right. No. And it's interesting because like, I, you know, I got up to like make a cup of tea in like certain bits in certain bits of the movie and so like i paused it maybe i shouldn't have some people will be screaming at me going you can't pause the shining yeah exactly exactly what are you doing but then but like it was getting to like the beginning part of him being a lunatic and knowing that he's gonna at some point try and chop up his family yes like signposted throughout the whole movie you know it's gonna happen and then i was looking at the, the the time bar at the bottom going movie's only like a third of the way in yeah and then and then i i realized and i was actually quite glad retrospectively that i did this pause it i mean because i then realized that the vast majority of the movie is the stocky psycho killer aspect of it and when you dedicate the vast bulk of the movie as opposed to dedicating the vast bulk of the movie to getting to that point yeah you dedicate it to actually being the Uh psycho lunatic it just that's where it gets you that's where it gets with, with that dread and like watching it for the first time and knowing that i'm going to have to watch the psycho nature of it for an extended period of the time and me going, oh my god, I need this to be over. Like for yeah. my own mental well-being, I need this to be over. Yeah. And realizing I still have half an hour left of this shit, yeah. I was like, oh my god. And the final but- half an hour is mental. Oh. And and um, so if if I could just interject here, mate, because yeah. this this so Stanley Kubrick's 1980, The Shining, famously from Stephen King's novel of the same name. Famously, Stephen King was not a fan of this movie. 
yeah, uh, there have that. been other interpretations of it. It's very, very different to the book. I haven't actually read the book myself. Uh, but this, I mean, we could have done a special on this film on its own. This is one of probably one of the most iconic and famous movies of all time. Definitely one of the most iconic and famous horror movies of all time. I yeah. would say this and the this and the Exorcist are the most famous horror movies ever made. Yeah. Yeah. And you 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 just maybe Friday the Thirteenth as well, but you just can't even begin to realize how pop culture nerdy this is. I mean, look for God's sake, it was Ready Player One. This was one of the whole parts of that film was how pop ingrained in pop culture this one movie is you know everything yeah, it's endlessly from, it's it's endlessly parodied it's like endless, uh, you must have watched exactly you must have watched this and went oh that's where that comes from that's where that comes from that's well, where that comes from obviously i don't i don't but the point is it's so ingrained that i didn't even have those moments of realization it's like i was watching the shining just knowing the shining like yeah. I, I, there 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 were a few details that that escaped me like the stephen kingy supernatural evil hotel aspects of yes, it yes 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 like all the jack nicholson stuff yeah is super famous because oh my god he's so good in this so good oh my god he's so good at, he's so good in that it, he's extent, so young though as well he is so young he is yeah, yeah, absolutely. It did make me. It made me realize, though, he wasn't always an old man. He wasn't always exactly. a very old man that we see. He was a young, you know, no, a young lad. Nobody, nobody is, Callum. Okay, um, before we go any further, mate, I have done quite a bit of research, and I prom, I promised you uh, a very, very small sub um, report on the Diaz Ray. Now I'm sure you recognized it as soon as we got in. So yeah. I'm going to kick it off with the old guitar. That I brought oh my goodness to play you some music so feel free to spot the deliberate mistake very very famous that is the Desiree in its most purest form or as it were just the four notes That is the most famous four notes in all of music and movie history. And there's a reason why. So, right. music, so those four notes basically began with the Dorian mode, uh, 13th century monk chants, used as the day of wrath, as it was known, for funerals and masses. For centuries, those four notes were sung and they were, they were sung with monk chants. Um, basically, throughout the years and throughout the centuries, famous composers would use those four notes because there were certain qualities that took place um, with them. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to basically give you a, a couple of, of sections of articles and some of the references. So basically, we, we have here, who is the biggest player in, mu in, movies, in movie soundtracks? How about some moody 13th century monks, says the Guardian. <laughs> this at least appears to be the wisdom coming back out of the kookier uh, corners of film soundtrack community. A few weeks ago, the British cinematic composer Daniel Pemberton was reading online comments surrounding his score for The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. One said, this is Diaz Ray. 
Pemberton recalls with some sense of disbelief was like, well, is it? And basically people are adding this piece of music, those four notes without maybe even realizing it. But basically the best known part of it, which may qualify as one of the world's earliest earworms, is a spooky descendant of four notes, the four notes I just played for you, uh, in a sequence which over the monks chant the word diezire. Um, that's Latin for judgment day, more directly the day of wrath. And the day of wrath, just to give you a bit of context to that, that is basically the reckoning. That is you going, being decided whether you're going to heaven or to hell is how they, is how they basically um, identify that. Yeah. You can pick it out as the more somber funeral and spooky bits of The Shining by Wendy Carlos's main theme pretty much reproduced it wholly as well as in Star Wars A New Hope, weaved into John Williams' score when Luke discovers Uncle Owen has been uh, offed by the stormtroopers, and It's a Wonderful Life when George begs for his life on the snowy bridge. It's also used in The Lion King when Scar orders the hyenas to kill Simba. So this piece of music is played almost in all of these movies. Now I have a list, so basically there is a famous music Professor Professor um, Alex Ludwig from Berkeley College of Music has a list of the movies. Now, let, let me just give you this long list. Metropolitan, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, A Clockwork Orange, The Omen, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Star Wars A New Hope, Big Trouble in Little China, The Shining, The Mission, Home Alone, Batman Returns, Jurassic Park, The Nightmare Before Christmas, The Lion King, Mars Attacks, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, Attack of the Clones, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, The Ring, Indiana Jones uh, and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Wreck-It Ralph, Iron Man 3, Game of Thrones Season 5, uh, Episode 3, Crimson Peak, 10 Cloverfield Lane, Rogue One, Star Wars Story, Colossal, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man Tell No Tales, The Good Place uh, and Avengers Infinity War. It is used in everything, and I mean everything, those four notes. And there is a reason why. There is scientific reasons why. As we said, it's used in Dorian mode, which is minor mode. So A, you've got a minor mode. B, it uses the half steps or the semitones, which is famous for Jaws, for example, the dun. It yeah. invokes dread when you hear it. Scientifically, you can't hear that and make it sound a nice sound. And thirdly, yeah. you have the descending tone of do, 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 do. The typically descending tones are also scientifically proven to be less uh, um, comfortable sounds. So when you combine those three things, the minor mode, the half step, and the descending, you have this absolutely dread sound. Combine that with the fact that it's from funerals, and from masses, it's the day of wrath, and you have one of the most scientifically dread-filled pieces of music you can create. Even yeah, more it's, so, it's it, used by Lewis Hers, uh, Bernioni's for The Shining, which was the dream on, um, wi- dream on a Witch's Sabbath, which is the original um, score from, from 1650 uh, that Wendy Carlos used. Uh, and most famously, as we've talked about in Giuseppe Verdi's Messi di Requiem from Mad Max, from yeah. uh, Django Unchained, and most famously from Harry Potter and the Quidditch World Cup. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I'm rambling on and on, but that is 
the introduction music to The Shining, the yeah. DS. You, you remember, I, I could tell you had fun researching that. Man, I love it. I love when some you just go, oh my God, it's everywhere. When it's, it's kind of like a sleeper agent that's been there for everything. And there's a really great Vox uh, video on this. I, I encourage anyone to go and watch it. And it's just, it, it creeps you out. It's a very specific observation of, 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 a much, of a much larger function of music in that it, it's, primar- it's primarily there to emotionally manipulate you. Yes. That's all it's there for. Yes. Any music's function in anything is there to emotionally manipulate you. So uh, that's the, that's the DAZ rate. Now, I basically wanted to keep going through this because we have a number of different uh, pieces of music. We have the music for its strings, percussion, and celesta, which was the music that's played when you're introducing room 237 and you're also introducing the hedge maze. And it's the kind of the low building of strings and the, the use of strings. The, the, there's two sections of, of the orchestra that is really relied upon in this movie. And that is the string section and the percussion section with the yeah. whole chimes and the woodwork and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. And the, the the music that is played during the scenes where you're introduced to these the hedge maze, you know, where they're walking through it and during the sort of sunnier days, and yeah. and, and you're introduced. I will interrupt. I will. I, yeah, I, I have to interrupt you for a second because, as a first time viewer of The Shining, I was I was going into it going like this is considered a masterpiece. Yeah. But then it got to this bit where the hotel owner was like doing the tour and they walk past the maze, and he says something like, you know. Oh, I wouldn't want to get stuck in there with unless I had like an hour, unless I had like an hour to kill to find my way out. And I immediately went, "Oh, okay, so that's where the movie's ending." <laughs> like Stanley Kubrick, you're 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 undeniably a legend. You are not you are not innocent, sir, of not of um, blatant foreshadowing. Blatant foreshadowing. I mean, I mean, I guess just on that point, Kubrick and what he did was um was absolutely amazing. You know, even just the kind of I love it where he he makes Danny wear the Apollo Eleven shirt because or the Apollo because they believe that Kubrick famously was 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 um, identified as the person who directed the moon landing fake video, uh, as it were, and so that's why he wears that's why he wears that jumper. I know, I know, I know, it's crazy. Um, but, but, but Danny, as the wee boy, so brilliant. If I can give you a few little interesting bits and nuggets there. But firstly, really creepy, but actually great actor. Um, Carol Duval as well as, as, as uh, Wendy. Amazing, amazing actress. That yeah. she is so good. And I love it that we're seeing the movie through her eyes. She's the kind of yeah. the... Because everyone else is really... I mean, even Danny is really crazy. But well, he's, the one, he's the one with, with The Shining. Because... What, one thing I really, I very much enjoyed that was that it was simultaneously a movie about a boy with supernatural abilities, an evil hotel, and a man's descent into madness through cabin fever, like a damaged psyche. Right? Yes. It was. It was simultaneously all three of those things. But also at the same time, leaving the door open for it to be none of those things. And for it to just be Jack Nicholson's damaged psyche. Yes. 
because there's there, you know there's lots of you know there's lots of theories and I was and I was looking and I was looking for this when I was when I was watching the movie of like is the hotel evil and the supernatural and the ghosts are real or is this literally just all in his head exactly he exactly well well so, so the movie beautifully ambiguous yeah so so when I was watching this again I was thinking that to myself I'm like is it both he's got superpower and is it both he's got superpower and that it's a spooky hotel and it's just two un, un, unconnected things that are just happen to come into contact. But I genuinely don't think it is. I think what is happening and forgive me if I'm wrong, but I, I say I haven't read the books, but I believe that it is all in Jack Nicholson's head. He is going mad, but yeah. because the boy has the shining the voice, it's manifesting it into what he sees too, which is why he gets strangled by the woman in yeah. 237. So I think that it's all in Jack, it, it, all, it is all in Jack Nicholson's head. It's not a haunted hotel, but it's playing yeah. on his mind. And therefore those thoughts, because the boy has such um, unique powers of telepathy, it's being manifested to him as well, which is why she, but she, this, no, but, no that, but that's nonsense because she starts to see things too, doesn't she? No, no, no. Yeah, I know. But that's where, that's where it gets really interesting because I think it's crafted in such a perfect, perfect way that, as I said before, it's both this and none of it. You can watch, I will watch this, this again. Yeah. Oh, and sure. I will watch this again. And I think I will watch it with a different lens. The point is, you can look at it from the evil hotel point of view. You can watch the whole movie from an evil hotel point of view, and 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 the narrative of the story is this: the ho- this the hotel is going through the machinations of a horror movie to mess with this family and inevitably kill them and carry out carry out their it's it's evil purpose right yeah that's that's a movie in itself right that that like i could pitch that movie right Mm, mm. anyone anyone could pitch that movie and that would be the movie and at no point in that pitch did i ever mention jack nicholson and and his fragmented psyche like you know him descending into madness because that's a different movie entirely yeah exactly it's the fact that he's managed to make two different movies in one because and just from a small detail because it is the smallest detail that gives you this doubt and it's the fact that whenever jack nicholson sees a ghost it's always when he's looking at a reflective surface okay yeah it's either a mirror or like a highly polished metal door or something every single example Pretty much. I had a hunch of it when I was watching it and then I Googled it afterwards and about, you know, articles about The Shining and confirmed to be true. Every single time something evil, hotel and supernatural happens to do with Jack Nicholson, it's because he's looking at a mirror. Right. He's looking at himself. So it could all be in his head. Yeah. Now then you can't explain Danny and what's in her Well, but Danny, but Danny's watching it. And when, but yeah. Wendy's just being the, the eyes of the viewer. Yeah. Um, some other great uses of sound in this movie. I love it when the, the iconic scene where he's on his tricycle and he's going around the hotel. I just yeah, I love, love that. I love the sequence, the sound of the wheels on the carpet and the wheels are really loud on the floor and then they're quiet yeah. on the carpet. I, I, for some, it just really stood out to me that. 
Um, it did. It did for me as well, actually. So, can we talk a little bit about the relationship as well? Because that is a bloody abusive relationship. You know, we've got a new rule. You know, don't come in when I'm typing. Abusive, horrendous, absolutely right. And she does everything. She's like she's the one doing the job that he signed up to do. He said, "I'll yeah. go and take care." She's the one bloody going around and doing it. And then she yeah. gets told, "I'm going to cut you up into little pieces." Yeah, he's yeah, he's uh, you know, and he's sleep sleeping till noon yeah, early exactly. on. That, you know, yeah. musical numbers. The next one we have is Midnight and the Stars with You, the ballroom sequence performed by Al, Al Bowley, who's a British um, singer, male singer. Now, that is the song that Midnight and the Stars with You. And that is the very evocative, old, old sort of timey wimey style, really sort of 20s, 30s sort of swing style of the ballroom. And, you, and it's, it's played when the ballroom scene is, is there, when he goes and he goes to the bar and he's ordering the drinks and, is that the same track that's played at the end in that exactly in that that, shot? Exactly. It, that's the last piece of music that's played. It's the background echoey of Midnight in the Stars with You as it zooms in on Jack Nicholson. It's the same piece of music. And I yeah. just think it's absolutely wonderful. I just think it's so, it's so sinister. But obviously it wasn't intended. It was intended to be a love song. It was intended to be beautiful, romantic. And it's like we talked about Stuck in the Middle with You, where you know, you have, you've taken that, that what was quite a nice, quirky, sort of fun punk, uh, not punk, sorry, folk, sort of R&B, rocky sort of song, and now it's really sinister sound. Uh, you've got the similar sort of thing with this old beautiful ballad, this old romantic ballad, which now has this really dark, sinister connotations thanks to this movie. Um, yeah, but it, it is creepy, isn't it? You know that last sequence when it films in on his face. Another song that's basically used, and, and I, I, the one that stood out to me the most from the soundtrack, apart from the Diaziri, was a piece of music called "Canon." Um, now, I think this is this is we chatted a little bit about Chris. Do you want to do you want to tell us about your the famous composer Christoph? The, the, Christoph Penderecki. Yes. Now, I, I know that you've did a bit of research into this. Now, this is that Canon is uh, what he created. It's, it's not Canon as we know it with a C. It's Canon with a K. Um, yeah. Now, to, to, to set the scene, this is the piece of music that plays in that culminating scene where we have the chase through the hedge maze in the dead of, of the dead of the snowstorm. And it's like I say, it's the frantic strings. Um, oh, before we get onto that, actually, sorry, there's, there's the other great piece of music with the pizzicato strings with the give me the bat, give me the bat, all the sort of stuff and all work and no play. But it's kind of yeah. canon is, is taken from that piece of music and extended through. But I just love yeah. the kind of, it's like, the, it's, it's best associated with like creepy crawlies and spiders, you know, yeah. that kind of the whole orchestra plucking yeah. away and that, you know, that kind of sound. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, a cannon, uh, the musical device of a cannon is obviously a small motif with delayed entries. Yes, yes, yes. It's, and they just constantly overlap each other. Obviously, the most famous example is Pachelbel, Pachelbel's cannon, which is which will be played at weddings regrettably until the end of time. Exactly. But, yeah. God, how many times have I played that piece in my life? <laughs> Jeez. Um, but yeah, there is something to be said of that, like overlapping endless nature that really lends to the dread in these yeah. in these scenes i think it's it's the canon in as a musical device is used in a very very different way but yeah Chris, christoph penderecki definitely one of the most 
influential and most important 20th century, primarily 20th century composers in Europe, uh, Polish. He didn't specifically write music for movies, but there's another movie, which you've already mentioned, that is almost entirely consistent, consisted of his music. And I think you'll be fascinated when I tell you what it is. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I love these little quizzes. Is it another horror movie? Oh, is it the, it's the, it is the Exorcist, isn't it? It's, it's the, the Exorcist. Exorcist. Yeah, yeah, it's the Exorcist. Of course it is, now that I think of it. Yeah, it's the, it's the Exorcist. So, like, you know, th- there is, and you, you named The Exorcist as one of the quintessential horror movies along with this one. Yeah. So, Christoph Pendereski, th- th- there's, there's, there's an obvious quality in his music that lends itself to that kind of unnerving genre, mm. which is quite fascinating, really. Now, uh, unfortunately, he died a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, just, you said this, yeah. Just at, just at the end of March, through a, 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 long, a, a long suffering, it wasn't uh, COVID-19 related. No, oh, okay. It was uh, just, just his time, which, you know, it's, it's, always, it's always very, very sad. But I've heard his music played like his string quartets and like it's very very engaging i've never played any any myself but I'd, i'm i'm very very interested to delve delve into that mm. um some fun little facts for you just before i i finish off my report um the actor who played danny uh, i forget the little boy's name actually uh was it ewan mcgregor no it wasn't you obviously famously in dr sleep uh, danny lloyd so they, they obviously kept his name um danny danny the boy actor, when he was filming, you'll love this, when he was filming it, he was told it was a drama, not a horror. So yeah. Stanley Kubrick was very protective over Danny Lloyd and told him that, yeah, it, it's, a dra- it's a drama, not a horror piece. Um, also, so he is in Doctor Sleep. He plays a spectator. Um, but even when he was shown the film, he was shown a very heavily edited film with all of the gory scenes taken out. And yeah. only realized what he had created when he was 17, when he watched the movie uh, in its original form for the first time. So he wow. was just totally protected from this and never actually saw it until he was 17. I respect that. I respect I know, that. me too. I, me too. Because I, mean, I, have always, I have always thought about like, the use of child actors in adult material and thought, yeah. do they know what they're doing? What's yeah. their experience there? And I imagine in this day and age, it's probably very heavily regulated. Uh, I think so. I think, like, I think there is, like, yeah. You know, like, you know, you know, like, you know, nowadays, any kid that gets cast in that kind of role, you know they have a blood, a blood sucking agent, right? <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah, you, you, know wrong. That, you, you know that they do. <laughs> um, finally, just, to, just as a sort of thought here, uh, upon the arrival at um, Street Studios, where it was filmed, Wendy Carlos and uh, Rachel uh, Elkind were shown the first version of the film by Kubrick. The film was a little on the long side, and there were great gobs of scenes that never made it to the film. Uh, this was a whole strange and mis- uh, mystical scene. There was a whole strange and mystical scene in which Jack Nicholson discovers objects that had been arranged in his working space in the ballroom with arrows and things. He walks down and thinks he hears voices and a ghost throws a ball back to him. None of that actually made it into the final film. And basically, Wendy and and Rachel said, we scored a lot of those. We didn't know what was going to be used for sure. 
after having something similar happen uh, to her on Clockwork Orange, C Carlos had said that uh, she was so dis disillusioned by Kubrick's actions that she vowed never to work with him again. Her own music was released in its near entirety in 2005 as part of her Rediscovering Lost Scores compilation. Okay. So uh, I think an interesting place to stop it there, uh, the report, in that I think Kubrick pissed a lot of people off with this movie. I think he pissed a lot of people off with this movie. But yeah. the reward for the risk is monumental and a piece of cinema history. Definitely. I mean, you know, I, I watched this movie and I thought, this is more of a cinema masterpiece and a Stanley Kubrick's like staple yes. than a, a Stephen King adaptation. Yeah, but I, I think it, you could say it. that. But you could say that for 2001, and you could also say that for Clockwork Orange as well. Yeah. You know, it, it's more often than not, or maybe not, but I think those, those famous ones are, are more, like you say, good, it's a good example of it. They're, they're yeah. cinem because, cinematographic masterpieces. Speaking of which, guess, guess, guess what other two movies I've not seen. Have you not seen either of those? Nah, the oh. only Kubrick movie I've actually seen is Full Metal Jacket. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, I'm just going to be so honest here, and it's only because somebody showed me the drill sergeant, the, the, the drill sergeant, like, speech, yeah. script, the speeches yeah. on YouTube, and I thought, I have to see that movie. Yeah, exactly, that, exactly. That shit's hilarious. <laughs> Excellent, but that is my report on The Shining. Yes, thank you so much for making me watch that. Excellent. I'm happy. I'm happy that you enjoyed it, mate. I'm oh, happy that you liked it. Oh, good. Absolute masterpiece. To the extent that I texted my girlfriend right after. Actually, I called her right after watching it, and I thought, and I said to her, "That was one of the, definitely one of the best movies I have ever seen. Never ever watch it." <laughs> yeah, it is really creepy. I mean, I, I sat and watched this with the lights out in my lounge. Like I, I did the full experience of sat and I, I sat in the dark on my own and watched this because I, I loved I loved doing that for horror movies. I had one of the best. Only, I had one of the uh, best reactions to Blair Witch Project uh, because I did exactly that. I watched it on my own in the dark. You know, there's only one murder in this movie. Yes, yes, I know, I know. It is crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. But it's the psychology of it. It's just wonderful. Yeah. Do you, know, oh, do you know what else I loved? And it stayed with me afterwards. And it's, it's right at the end of the movie, so it, you know, we can still wrap it up. It's the, it's the shot of him in the snow. Yeah, the famous one. I did write this down, yeah. The, the, his, his head in the snow. And it, look, it looks almost comical. Yeah. Well, the reason right. it looks almost comical is because it's been in every meme ever since. It has, right. Yes, it has. However, thinking about it long, I was like, Oh, he's still crazy, even though he's dead. Yeah, 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 yeah. He took like, it with that's the face. He died insane. Oh God! And I think I think that's I think that's that's deliberate. Well, it is deliberate. Excellent. Uh, thumbs up. Yeah. Two again. Look at that four all round. Wait, not the yep. part. This is a good episode. Good movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some I good struggled movies. to find which one of those two movies I enjoyed more. On yeah. rewatching. On this occasion, I'm giving it to The Exorcist. Shining. Just, sorry. Shining. <laughs> <laughs> because, 
speaking of which, don't make me watch The Exorcist. I'm not going to watch it. It's coming soon. It's coming soon. Oh, God. You will love it. You will love it. It's incredible. Right. Okay. I trust you. Exactly. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. I will, I will give it to The Shining. But I think probably only because I've seen Reservoir Dogs a million times. A million times, yeah. I think that was, that was the conclusion I came to as well. Yeah. Great. Moving forward, let's don't have a huge amount of time. We've done what we did last week where we've crammed in too much movie and not enough moving forward. But do you have anything that you want to sort of give? I think use this up op- as an opportunity whilst nothing is coming out that's new. Maybe use this as an opportunity to kind of go, this is what we've been up to. This is the sort of stuff we've been listening to. This is the stuff we've been watching. Have you got anything you want to bring to this segment? Well, I'm uh, currently making my way through uh, phase two of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in oh, yes. uh, pre- preparation for our upcoming second second part special of yes. said universe. Fantastic. Uh, are, you, are you watching? Uh, I, I'm going to rewatch them. I've not really got around to Are we doing that next, are we? Uh, it's not next. I think we said uh, first first episode of the month. Nice. Okay, well, we'll, do, we'll do phase two then. Um, what I wanted to bring to this section, I wanted to give the listeners of the show um, a little bit of a recommendation, if you will. Um, it's to a series of albums, but it's the artist. Now, I don't know enough about this. I'm so sorry. I haven't brought enough information to this. I don't know the name of the artist, but there is, if you go into Apple Music or Spotify, there is an artist, and it's simply known as Beyond the Guitar. Now, Beyond the Guitar, there's five albums at the moment. In fact, I'm going to look it up now, but Beyond the Guitar, there is five albums at the moment, and they are all albums that have classical guitar reinterpretation of famous songs, music, and mo- uh, from movies, video games, and TV series. And they are absolutely wonderful so i believe it's a sorry it's a, it's a series of guitar uh, guitarists that that, that are perform um that are, are famous for it um but basically as, as sort of cds and albums and pieces of work they are so lovely they are so beautiful i guarantee you will find something there to listen to now the reason i'm bringing this up now is that we're all working from home and we're all kind of doing working on our own time and, and dealing with it i uh don't really interact with a huge amount of people in my job i'm spending a lot of time you know typing and writing and and and, and i'm kind of on my own in, in, in my room writing up stuff as opposed to being in the office and so naturally i can play music out loud as opposed to in my headphones and never is there more perfect music to listen to whilst you're working it's just so soothing it's so wonderful they've just released the version as, as a single of the man uh, the mandalorian soundtrack um as a classical version Highly recommend you you guys go and listen to it. I think you started listening to it, did you, Alex? Have you listened to it? Yet? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I've got those. I've got those playlists uh, saved on my uh, Apple Music. Anyway, I just think they're just the most calming, brilliant. It, it's the perfect music to listen to whilst you work, um, because that's all I've been doing at the moment, just working. <laughs> all working yeah. play makes Callum a dull boy. Oh, don't 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 start saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I think that's the show for this week, mate. 
Yeah. This was fun. It was. It really, really was. I, I do love... I, I, do, I don't regret the fact that I never watched The Shining before yeah. now. Yeah. I don't regret it at all because I had that first time experience. Yeah. And I envy people of that, of like my favorite movies. I envy people who have never seen my favorite movies. Yeah, I do. Ex- I really, really do. I do. So, it, it's, it, yeah, it's that whole thing. I think video games is another one, or, or, or games. I envy people who have never played a game before. And I go, oh, you're, you're going to just love this. Or TV shows. I remember, I remember when Game of Thrones was at its height. And I was thinking, God, wouldn't it be amazing to go back and rewatch the first four seasons, you know, yeah. again? And, and so I, but this is the, the movies is kind of like the gift that keeps on giving. As you yeah. said, there's a hundred movies out there that I know are instant classics, famous, I should watch, but I haven't actually got around to watching yet. And so it only yeah. filled me with hope. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. Shall I tell them what they have to do next? What do they have to do next? They've got to go on to Apple Podcasts and leave us a cheeky little review and, crucially, a five-star rating. I want the cheekier the reviews, the better. I, want, I don't want anything normal. I don't want anything like, oh, the guys are just really, really great and we really like the show and it's really interesting. I want cheeky, like... Although that's nice. Let's be fair, that's nice. No, but we don't want it. We want the cheeky reviews, as you say. We want the, ha, uh, you get five stars, but you've got your pants down and I can see your willy. Ha! I want those sort of cheeky little reviews, you know, those sort of weird ones that are yeah. out there. The sort of, you get, you know, like, uh, uh, should we say Callum, what? Uh, that's it. Callum showing off his true levels of, uh, of maturity there. Alex, Alex, <laughs> Alex. Should we say what? Maturity. Should we people say what? Maturity. You'll never get me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely go on. Give us a five star review. How can they get in touch with the show? Uh, they can send us an email at motionspod at gmail.com. Yep. Or tie a note to a brick and throw it in through one of our windows. If you can find us. Are you still in your safe house, aren't you? Yeah, I'm in a bunker. <laughs> Excellent. Fantastic. Before we go, can you throw up that visual background once more just to round up the show? Just for you. Just a nice little book. <laughs> Stay there, stay there. I'm gonna take a photo. Stay there. <laughs> Incredible. Incredible. Oh, yeah. so happy. you'll never you'll never see it on the socials. <laughs> but it's <laughs> Yeah, I don't think you'll let me put that photo on the socials. Oh, you're right. I'm definitely not gonna let you put that on the socials. <laughs> I'm gonna do it. I'll let you have one, but it's not going anywhere. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. All right, guys. Ta-ta.